0: Hi, you're listening to the Modern Club Management Podcast with me, your host, Ed Chapman. This podcast takes the lived experiences and knowledge of some of the leading figures and thinkers from the world of club management and beyond, all so that they can become your teacher and elevate your performance. Whether you're looking to start a career in club management, are a seasoned club manager at a world-leading club, or work elsewhere within this wonderful industry, there will be powerful messages and key takeaways that can help you in your career or personal life. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Emily, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me, Ed.
0: Before we dive into today's topic around diversity and inclusion, I'd love to hear a bit more about your background and how you ended up working for Golf New Zealand.
1: Oh, well, I'm not a golfer, um, first and foremost. So I've been working, I've been living in New Zealand for about 10 years. So originally from England, I came over here when I was about 21 and have been living here for about 10 years and have been working in the sport, um, sport industry the entire time. And I started working for Golf New Zealand about five and a half years ago so I'm not a golfer before I started here so I was originally employed to work with golf clubs and communities and youth participation and actually all things participation and getting people into the game um, which was actually great because I came with a unique perspective that I didn't play and I got to really experience every bit of starting something new and really use that to help build initiatives and strategies and, and programs that might suit newer, newer golfers as well so that was really great to come with that kind of almost naive perspective actually and over the last few years I've been leading our golf's commitment to inclusion so all of that kind of work comes out of our inclusion charter where we've identified particular groups of people that are underrepresented or may experience more barriers to engage with the game Um, so you know I've predominantly focused on women and girls and disabled people Um, over the last few years, but ultimately that inclusion charter outlines our LGBTQIA community, Māori, Pacifica, and young people actually, because young people are underrepresented in golf um, as well. And I think probably the one most important thing to acknowledge that while we've kind of identified these people in groups, that everyone comes with all these sorts of layers of um, diversity. So, you know, people don't come in boxes. We have disabled women, we have Māori women, we have... um, you know, all sorts of different layers of diversity that come within us. So I always like to identify that first because, you know, I think society in general likes to group people, but it's important to acknowledge those layers for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, every person is so unique and individual, let alone people within groups that yeah, you can't really say, oh, they're this person in this group, therefore they want or need X.
1: That's no, exactly definitely. right. But I think from those kind of... Groups, if you like, we can actually learn a lot about people, and you know, I think it's those layers of diversity that one make us really unique and interesting, but two, that really influences how we choose to engage with sport or not. Um, so really important to pick up on as well to learn from.
0: That mm, is, and as you say, coming from not being a golfer, you're also far more likely to ask, well, Why is it done this way? Whereas people who have worked in golf for 10, 20, 30 years that's just the way it's done so you don't question it
1: yeah there was definitely a lot of questions when I first started working why do we do it this way and uh, you're dead right sometimes it simply is oh we've just always done it that way um, and I'm sure we'll get into a few of those topics as we go through the conversation as well
0: definitely so moving into that then to start with what do you feel was some of the biggest challenges for women and girls for getting into golf?
1: Great question. I always want to start with the opportunity, because I think it's really important to identify that golf is actually pretty awesome. Um, mm. And I being the biggest convert, actually, because I genuinely thought that golf was for rich men. That is gen- generally how I came into golf, thinking that's who it was for. Mm. And I've been complete completely converted. And so, you know, I'm sure preaching to the converted myself here saying this, but golf is incredibly unique, unlike other sports. So, Our handicapping system means that anybody can play together or compete together in a way that is equitable. That's regardless of gender, age, or ability. That's so unique. Also, we Mm. have all these different facilities that people forget about. You know, we often think about these big 18-hole facilities, but we've got nine-hole, frisbee golf, foot golf, mini golf, driving ranges. There's just actually so much on offer that means there's something for everybody. And I think now with those advancements in technology, things like... um, the para golfer, automated T blocks, top tracer. More than ever more people can play right. So I think we've got this incredible, incredible foundation to work with. And again, really unique and really special sport. It's inclusive by design. It's often us to put the barriers in place yeah. of the game, right? Um, so I think that's really important to acknowledge. So when we bring this down to women, obviously on average about in New Zealand we're about twenty two percent of our members are women. And I guess the biggest challenge for golf clubs, I'll start with first, is to balance the integrity, traditions of the game, and the traditional golfer, their needs, with this newer, younger golfer that wants flexibility in how they play, when they play, and who they play with. And it's a real Mm -hmm. balancing act, and that can be quite difficult for golf clubs to try and balance Now, when it comes to women, women are telling us their biggest challenges are having someone to play with, time and cost. But I think with that in mind, the biggest opportunities that they outline, or what what will make them play more or what will keep them interested is, again, feeding back to that flexibility narrative, right? It's having more friends to play with. It's pay as you play events and initiatives. It's having membership offerings that are packaged up with stuff, you know, rental equipment, bring a friend voucher, beginner tea times, whatever that kind of looks like. And um, these are all things that women are saying will encourage them to play more. Um, and I think we've really mm. got to start listening to that.
0: Mm, I think especially took on one of those elements like the rental clubs and having the, the, the broader package, because it is a big commitment to go and buy a full set of clubs to start learning a sport, which whenever you learn a sport, you don't truly know if you're going to stick with it Uh, and having that option to go, well, I'd like to try it. Do you have some clubs I can use? And that being really freely available and even to a point, knowing that that's actually even an option.
1: Yeah. It's really interesting actually, because I think often we build this narrative that women don't want to Mm -hmm. become members And I actually don't necessarily believe that. I think women don't want to be members in how it currently is sold. You know, they don't want this particular product that we're selling, which is this traditional membership product. And this, I've kind of seen this in things that we've trialed here in New Zealand. So we have an initiative called She Loves Golf. And so essentially this is clubs and facilities setting up these initiatives that Introduce women to the game so through have a go days was where it kind of originally sat and now it's evolved to initiatives all the way up to sort of playing nine holes so six hole events nine hole events coaching programs beginner twilight you name it there's something in there sort of for everyone under the she loves golf umbrella and we were getting this huge demand we were getting lots of women coming along to these but that wasn't necessarily translating into keeping them where are these women going Mm -hmm. we're having hundreds of women thousands of women in fact coming through she loves golf so what are they doing after And so we trialed at quite a few golf clubs this sort of introductory membership. So we trialed in a a three-month membership and a 12-month membership. We called them introductory memberships and we packaged them up, as we've just said, with um, bring-a-friend voucher, rental equipment, some sort of she-loves-golf tee times, all of these kind of different things. A a bring-a-friend voucher works really, really well as well. Mm. Um, And some of them had coaching in them, some of them didn't. So to give you an example, normally when we would run a she-loves-golf event or initiative you'd get one or two people join with this introductory membership the Mm. three and twelve we've had golf we have one golf club in auckland that's got 150 women in that category in that introductory Mm. category so we're talking a usual transition of two to nine people to this 150 women buying this package Mm. and you know i think that speaks volumes to the fact that we're just not necessarily packaging it right at the moment particularly for newer people um I know I would buy that.
0: Hmm. Yeah, especially it's because it feels achievable or obtainable to go and just have that short-term commitment to see actually is this really a place and a sport and everything that's right for me rather than maybe uh, here's a joining fee here's my and I'm kind of signed up for life
1: and off uh, you go, off yeah, you go and play, you know, yeah. all alone. And you know, women do tell us that you know we've asked women what's the most important thing when choosing a golf club? And they've told us, well, one, it's having a friend or family member there, so someone to play with. Um, it's having good customer service and friendly staff. Well, we could unpack mm. that one. That's also an interesting <laughs> one. Um, it's tea time availability and flexibility. And that's a big one. And that's a really big one for golf to start thinking about, right? Mm. I mean, there's these... And this isn't all golf clubs, right? Lots of golf clubs are kind of moved quite progressively. But the old historic setup of Tuesday and Thursdays women's golf and Saturday is where the men's tournament sits. And, you know, for women, that's quite difficult for younger women. um, For women like myself that work Monday to Friday or for young girls that are at school Monday to Friday, Mm. you know, you see significantly lowering our options of when we play. When we can't play on a Saturday afternoon. um, In the winter, we can't play in the evenings we're working during the week or we're at school. So we're left with a Sunday. And then you go, well, you know, is membership with worth the money. Yeah. And often women's only tea times on the weekend are like sort of 8 a.m. on a Saturday. And again, I'm generalizing, this isn't everywhere. Mm. They can often be 8 a.m. on a Saturday or well, guess who has sport on a Saturday morning?
0: Mm. Young people. kids, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, young people. doing Yeah, it, yeah. so that flexibility
1: mm. um, and tea time availability did come up in yeah, something that's quite important to women. And oh, I hear that uh, when I'm out, right? You know, we've run events at clubs. Um, we ran a corporate event for all these business women. They're well into it. They were loving it. And, she, and a couple of them come up to me and said, Emily, I would join here, but I can't play on a Saturday. So then when would I play? And so the, mm-hmm. there's no point. They become flexible golfers. So I think the the structure and the availability is such an important one when it comes to women.
0: Yeah, I read an article recently written in the UK, and it was a woman golfer who's a very low handicap and she looked through the calendar Ooh. for next year and she worked out to play all the like regional and club events she wanted to play in she'd have to take 22 days holiday from work
1: yeah
0: whereas if she was a male golfer with the same ability she'd have to take three
1: amazing eh?
0: yeah and again yeah, so if you got if you got the regional championships on weekdays well there's all your juniors and college students can't play there's anyone who works can't play unless they take yeah. leave, and that's yeah. I mean, at that more elite level, there's already those, there's still those barriers. Even once someone's really into the sport, they actually can't really compete still. Exactly right,
1: and there are there yeah. are challenges um, all the way from just getting started to competing, right? But I always think where there's challenges, there's opportunities. So it's not all doom and gloom. There are things that we can change and there's things that we can shift that will kind of break down these barriers for women. Mm. And actually most of the barriers that we talk about, all the actions that you can take to create a more inclusive environment for women, actually create a really inclusive environment for everyone. Mm. Um, So you're not just doing it for women, you're actually doing it to future-proof the game for the most part.
0: Yeah, definitely. Most research I read is that often the woman, if it's a family environment, they're the one who has kind of the, the sway and the say into what the kids do. Yeah. So if golf's not on the radar, then it's not really going to often be on the kids' radar. If often the family dynamic is still the mum books in the sport events and things like that, well, if they're choosing which sports, then getting them to play golf brings the kids and the family more into the sport. So it suddenly brings in yeah loads more people.
1: Yeah, there's been some research done. They call it the junior multiplier effect, right? Um, yeah. That women bring more people with them um, than, their, than their counterparts. But, you know, also women deserve to have access to golf. Oh, you know, like there's so many wonderful health and well-being benefits and social benefits from golf. And 50% of your population are made up of, of women. So why wouldn't we? It's a no-brainer that we would make yeah. space for women to participate in the game. Um, and, just, we, you know, and there is a demand You know, gone are the days you can say women do not want to play golf. And we can throw an event out here um, any day of the week and we're getting 150 women turn up. And these aren't our traditional golfers. These are under 50, all just wanting to play with their mates and have a good time. And I think that that's something that's really important narrative as well is that, and that's certainly a philosophy that we've underpinned through She Loves Golf. You know, it's okay. We actually have it's okay rules where we tell, mm. you know, actually it's okay to kick your ball out from out of the trees while you're learning. It's okay to tee up every shot. You know, it's okay to not count score. All of these things that just help you get around the golf course and, you know, etiquette that can come later if it's needed. But ultimately we just want to get women and men and young people ran that golf course while having a really great time. Dress code is another big barrier. You know, I actually work for golf. So when I first started learning to play, and working for golf, I was given all of this stuff, right? I was given golf attire. And I thought, there is not a chance I'm wearing that. Because do you know why? It's full imposter syndrome. I thought, I can't yeah. go in there, out there, all of these golf clothes. Everyone's going to think I'm going to be amazing. And I'm going to go up there and top the ball and feel humiliated. It was really that all the gear, no idea sort yeah. of thing that I felt. And it's funny. So I just wanted to wear my active wear. I wanted to wear my trainers. I wanted to wear what I had in my drawers that I would wear to the gym. Um, and go out there and funnily enough five years later guess what i'm wearing i'm wearing my golf clothes i feel feel Mm. great i'm wearing a golf skirt i'm wearing golf shoes which by the way best investment you'll ever buy Mm -hmm. um but tell me that five years ago i wasn't interested i felt like an imposter and i think that's another really important thing is just give people time let them wear what they feel comfortable in. Let them get around the golf course with their friends how they want. And you know what? If women just want to play with other women of a similar age group or they want to play with this sort of newer tribe of women, then let them do so because, you know, we feel limited on time. So when we do have spare time to play golf, we want to go out with our friends or with our family on the weekend or in the evening and just have a good time.
0: Mm. That's interesting. I hadn't you really thought of the... Imposter syndrome side of the golf clothes. I've always thought about the aspect of it's the only sport I can really think of, other than stuff with really unique specialties, where to start it, you have to buy a special pair of shoes, a special top. Like most of the sports, if you want to learn tennis, you just put on your trainers and gym clothes. Damn, but you've actually, yeah, you've actually got to go and buy what's you know the higher end, generally the price category for for clothing. um yeah, it's it, it's interesting. In the UK, there's a brand called Zara, oh. and they've just started selling golf clothes. Oh no way! Yeah, I, I I heard it by chance, and I then happened to walk past one, so I popped in. Yeah, they now start selling golf clothes only on their shops, and it's like um, twenty two pounds, so like forty five dollars for for a golf shirt. Golf and just targeting that limited. younger. It is very
1: yeah. very limited for a woman. I mean, often you can go into a pro shop and it's quite jazzy, Um, Mm. you know, often quite, you know, vibrant prints on on golf collared t-shirts and which, you know, it might be great for some people, but not all, Um, you know, I certainly kind of like quite plain gear, I will buy my bits from adidas or lululemon um and it's not necessarily always particularly golf clothes that i'll buy i'll kind of mix and match some different bits maybe with an adidas golf skirt and then wear kind of a different top with it but you know some a lot of the golf specific apparel for women isn't necessarily meeting the needs of your sort of 20 to 30 40 year old as such huge market for someone to jump into Mm. so well done zara
0: Mm. and there's also far more body shapes for want of a better term. I know from my sister does a lot of cycling and actually I noticed when I was watching a bit of the, the Tour de France, the Femme one and generally the men, it's very similar, they all the same body shape, giant thighs, small upper bodies, similar height. Mm. But when you, when you look at the women peloton, it, it's a bigger diversity of body shapes and then the needs around just the style of clothing and the cut of it, is and seems to be far more varied as well which I'd imagine would be the same for golf but you don't really see that in golf clothing you
1: ultimately just want to wear what you feel comfortable and good in, yeah. and trying to narrow people into a box of one way that they should dress in one way they should um you know what they should wear and therefore how they feel when they're playing it, it, it seems madness you know um that you couldn't go onto a golf course without a collar on yeah. Uh, and you know and that is me as as a young woman who likes to play golf. I still don't get it after five and a half years of of working in golf, so I think you know relaxing that a little bit is 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 a good mm-hmm. thing um and you see this on tour now, right you know women yeah. are wearing roundnecks. so how is that not translated into the golf course? men are wearing hoodies or different types of apparel on on the tour now how is that not translating into the into the golf clubs um you know, I think it's just being a little bit more progressive and being open to just people wearing what makes them feel great.
0: Mm. Yeah, because there's that anxiety around the dress code. I think it's not, you know, being told by someone when you enter a club, I'm sorry, you're not allowed in, you're wearing the wrong clothes, is such a humiliating thing. And see, I, work, I work in the golf industry, but if my wife comes to meet me at the golf club or we go for dinner at a golf club, like there's a big conversation. So, what am I allowed to wear? Yes. I have to tell her what clothes in her wardrobe are acceptable to be worn.
1: Mm. And even
0: then, when I pick through the dress code for certain clubs, I'm trying to interpret it. And I'm like, well, I think that means you can wear those, but Mm. I'm not entirely sure. (laughs)
1: Yeah, everywhere is completely different, right? Everywhere is completely different. And, you know, even kind of small community-based rural golf courses can be enforcing dress code as well. Um, I do see that lightening up a little bit now, though. Mm. You know, I definitely do see this kind of shift in culture around dress code um, and the ability to wear sportswear and active wear on the golf course, whatever makes you feel empowered to get out there and play, um, which is a really nice shift.
0: Mm, it is, and I just always think from like a professional level, it seems. When I know, I know the fabrics now are much more modern and technical. But if you go back twenty years to what they used to wear, I find it baffling. You'd ask Rory McElroy to hit a three hundred and fifty yard drive wearing a pair of cotton chinos with a belt and a peak polo shirt. I'm yeah. like, well, that's not. That doesn't scream athletic sport to me. Yeah, um, I mean It is better now with obviously better fabrics, materials, but yeah, it, there's not many other athletic events that you have, you generally wear a belt to do. Well, it's little things like that I've always kind mm. of found a bit odd because I didn't start playing golf till I was uh, 16, mainly because to me, before that, playing football and tennis and whatnot, golf looked like a bit of a boring sport for older men. hmm. Especially back yeah. then in, in, the, in the kind of late 90s, early 2000s, there, that was only just the beginning of Tiger Woods, who kind of was the first person who made it look athletic and cool.
1: I think that's probably, it is one of our biggest challenges in golf, right, is the perception of the game. Yeah. Um, and for the most part, the perception isn't necessarily reality. And I think once you start playing, or you start working, or you start getting involved in the industry, you realise that it's actually quite different to how it's been historically perceived. But there are a few old traditions still lurking around um, that that might need to shift a wee little bit as we move into the future. But perception is 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 one of our biggest challenges as a sport, I think.
0: No, definitely. You mentioned earlier about customer service and staff being one of the common comments you get back from women. Can you go a bit more? into detail on that
1: i would love to get into more detail in this i actually would love to do a further um i guess maybe focus group or get get women in the room about this customer service thing because while they've said these are the kind of top things that would encourage them to play more Mm. top considerations when when playing being part of a club we weren't able to unpack that mm. necessarily. Um, I, think, I think when you think about customer service for the most part, and mm. a, a di- golf courses are really diverse, right? Some golf clubs you can go into and there's seven, eight staff. Others you can go into and it's a ghost town. And I think when you're mm. new to golf, um, often you don't know where you're going. Well, if it's your first time going into a golf club, well, where do you first off go? And there's a lot of things that we assume people know when you've been in golf for a long time and i think website is probably your first point of customer service um even though it's not people customer service you know where do you go what do you do when you get here who do you go into report to especially if you're new to the game and honestly customer service is if if you don't know the person have you been here before Can I show you around? Can I help you out? Um, Can I show you where you go and get the balls at the driving range? Can I show you where the driving range is? Hey, have you met so and so? This person can look after you or show you where to go. Do you know where the first tee block is? You know, it's just really, as as we would imagine, it's supporting someone through their journey, right? And then, well, you remember that that might look quite different, um, knowing people's names and things like that. Um, But I think it will look a little bit differently at every golf course, because just knowing that some golf courses are also volunteer run, right? Oh, or there's no staff. So what does that look yeah. like? But again, I think that goes back to the first touch of the website or the booking system or what happens when you get there. But I would love to unpack the customer service part and that will be my next little bit of research. Mm. Of, well, what does good customer service look like within a golf club?
0: Mm. Oh, that would be interesting to read about. But as mm-hmm. you say, yeah, I think a big part of it is the just knowing what you're meant to be doing when you get there. And I've had it when I've been on holiday and I've gone to play a really top club. And the information I've had, I'm like, I still really have no idea what I'm going to do. I will just turn off at the gate and hope someone will point me in the right direction. Yeah. And that's even places that do have plenty of resources don't always get it right with making it obvious. Because it's one of those problems when you're working at the club within that, it is already obvious to you because you already know what you're meant to be doing and where you're meant to be going. Yeah. So then, it's it kind of useful, useful having that outside perspective of someone going. Well, I don't know where I'm going to go. We go over there. Well, how would I know that? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you wouldn't. <laughs> maps are helpful. Not many
1: yeah. golf courses have a map, and I think um, maps are actually helpful from a disability perspective as well. Having a visual. map um, on the on the um, website or giving someone a map of the golf course or even the facilities when you get there. Not many golf clubs would have a map, but maps are really, really helpful in terms of finding everything that you need, knowing there's a toilet on the fifth hole or the eighth hole or wherever that might be. All of those kind of things, or knowing where the disabled parking is or knowing where the restrooms are, all of those kind of things are really quite important. Um, Where is the pro shop? You know, we always go, come report to the pro shop when you get here. (laughs) Where is it? And you know what? And if you are somebody who has a visual impairment um you know just going to the pro shop quite difficult instruction you know when you don't know mm. where it is or the signage isn't big enough or you have no signage um or you know all of those kind of things or you don't know where the disabled parking is or where the drop off best drop off point is all of those kind of things are really good considerations when we're thinking about from a disability perspective as well
0: mm. the, the toilets is an interesting one because that's a lot of golf courses there's one at after the ninth hole yeah, and then there's another one when you finish the round, mm-hmm. which you know, generally speaking, for men that's not so much of an issue, um, but for other groups, the thought, yeah, you've got two hours until you're going to get to a to a toilet, isn't always ideal.
1: Well, men often use the trees, right?
0: Yeah, so it's not much of an issue that it's mm-hmm. only one one for the entire round of golf, but yep. again, it's not that inclusive thinking about other people.
1: Yeah, that's right. Mm.
0: Then my next question I look like social media and getting female engagement on that kind of what, how are you doing that to try and get more of a broader vision or of society? Do you get everyone seeing that, Oh, there are people like me who play golf. Mm-hmm. That's actually an option while also obviously because it's heavily male dominated who plays balancing, still having enough of interest for those current golfers who want to know something different to, um, engaging new audiences because mm-hmm. I imagine that's quite a difficult thing to balance without just pumping out tons and tons of posts and overwhelming um, that side of things
1: yeah and social media is really important right all media all social media whether it be through news outlets whether it be Instagram Facebook it's really important for a sport because it actually helps us show and share and reflect what we care about And naturally, we care about inclusion. So we make sure that we are diversifying our content and making sure people are represented. We want to ensure that people that are looking at what we do can see themselves within that. So really is finding that combination of stories, imagery, whether it be tournament, whether it be participation focused out there to share a nice balance of information. So at Golf New Zealand, we actually have two outlets. We have our Golf New Zealand Facebook and Instagram, and we have our Love Golf Instagram and Facebook. Okay. Now, to give you some context around that, our Golf New Zealand Instagram and Facebook is about 80-20 split. So 80% men, 20% women. Our Love Golf Instagram and Facebook is a 50 nearly a 50-50 split. Mm. And then to dive into I guess the content that we share around Love Golf. Love Golf is a lot of health messaging, participation focus, story focus, um sort of profiling players, merchandise, um, we share upcoming initiatives. We do a lot of posts around She Loves Golf, which is our women's initiative. We do a lot of posts around All Abilities, which is our initiative for disabled um, people within New Zealand. And um, There's a lot of get into golf imagery, and we use a lot of ambassadors through that work. So local New Zealanders who have a really high profile and platform that also love golf that share our narratives So that has really attracted a 50-50, near 50-50 mm. engagement. And our Golf New Zealand page, that kind of pumps out a lot more kind of tournament and performance based content and more kind of federation-based information. So you can kind of see how they've ended up splitting. And I guess maybe that's an indication to what women are potentially wanting to look at or potentially wanting to engage with. But through both of those, regardless, there is still, we are striving for a split of content. Mm. We would not want you know, 10% of male content on golf.co, on, on Golf New Zealand site and then, you know, 90%, uh, 10% women, 90% men content, we still have yeah. a split because, as I say, our media outlets are how we show what's important and yeah. what we value and we do value inclusion and we value women's contribution to the game um, significantly. So ensuring that we've got that diversity. And, you know, we think about diversity of, I guess, ability as well and ethnicity yeah gender you know we're thinking about that kind of stuff all the time and one of the things we're really starting to think about now is how accessible our content is so things like using alt text and subtitles um that's our kind of next thing that we're delving into to make sure that everyone can consume what we're sharing as well
0: it's mm, interesting and i think as well like a lot of men have would have the similar interests around the health and that messaging far more than the traditions of competitions and what's happening uh, on tour because yes yeah, but for me growing up with sport personally it was always about what's happening in the professional game whatever sport there might yeah. be that I played and I just when I was younger I just assumed that's what that's how everyone approaches sport they play a sport because they watched it on tv yeah and they're still interested in that it's only been as I've learned some new sport that I really have no interest in the actual professional side of it i just do it because i like it Mm -hmm. that i've it's kind of more made sense to me that when i've coached people before and they're like oh the tour yeah i don't follow that i just play golf because i like it yeah that it's kind of now more made more sense to me personally having had that same experience of some other sports that that's just as that's a really common aspect for a lot of people
1: we're a huge recreation sport right yeah you know the performance part is the, the pointier end and there are less mm. people in that space and they're so inspirational and it's awesome and there should be a really clear pathway of if that's your ambition or that's your aspiration how do you get there and the support networks around that kind of thing but ultimately you've got this massive percentage of people who are out there playing with their mates and hacking around the golf course and just having a good time <laughs> and you know it 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 will be great when we get to a point where even club newsletters sort of represent that. You know, you definitely get that old club newsletter that's, you know, talking about men's penance and then women's penance. And that's kind of all the newsletter has in it. Mm. But actually forgetting that, you know, there's this large percentage of your membership that haven't played in penance and nor are they that interested in it. So how are we engaging with that bigger audience as well and giving them the content they want to hear? And club newsletters are really guilty of focusing on the pointy end despite the fact that most of their membership is out there playing with their friends and family every every Mm. every day so um it's finding balance actually
0: Mm. I suppose in some ways it's that's the easier thing to write about as a club newsletter yeah because you just you're not having to think much you just oh there's a result pad it out a bit well there's my newsletter done rather than actually having to think about well that what's what's the other 80% done what are they interested Mm. in actually takes a lot more work I yep. think to do that, which yep. yeah, it's probably an easy excuse to then not do it.
1: Yeah, yep. yep.
0: Uh, interesting on that. Now, moving into more of the golfers with disabilities, you've talked about some of the uh, the power tees and some of those other kind of in, kind of more newer inventions into golf. I'd imagine like accessibility of actually just getting into a golf club, mm. like actually, yeah, you know, if you look at. I've always look at them and think well if i was in a wheelchair say i actually couldn't get into a lot of places uh, in golf clubs and even just from the perspective of maybe someone's been a member their entire life and now they're 85 and in a wheelchair and they still want to go to their mm-hmm. golf club just yep. for dinner well actually that's already a challenge
1: yep look the physical asset can be a barrier but just remembering everyone's got a diverse range of impairments right yeah it's really easy to quickly think about wheelchair users and um, people yeah. that are using a wheelchair um but you know that's just one type mm. of impairment or one type of um challenge that that might need to be overcome and there are many invisible impairments there are many um, other types of impairments if you think about having an, um being an amputee or having cerebral palsy or having autism or any of those kind of impairments um, that aren't necessarily linked to the um, asset for example being a barrier mm. so and the reason I do try and avoid talking about the asset as much because these can oft- often be quite expensive to change right yeah. And when we start talking about expense people go well well, you know that that sounds really hard and really expensive so well the ideal situation is that all golf clubs are built using universal design that everywhere is accessible the reality is we've got these really really old facilities and that's a real long-term outcome so yes we should be striving for universal design yes we should be striving for um, an inclusive physical asset or an accessible accessible physical asset but there's so many other things that golf clubs Mm -hmm. can do to make sure that people with a disability are included and have a place to belong within their golf club. Um, And we've just shared our new strategy around um, uh, disabled people's inclusion in golf. And yes, we talk about the club, but we also talk about participation, competition. We talk about... um, The profile, the profile is so, so important, you know, I know there's that old saying, you know, you can't be what you can't see kind of thing. And it's Mm. probably overused to death. But how if you have got an impairment and you've never, ever seen anybody with an impairment playing golf, think that that is a game for you. And a lot of our work is sharing the narrative and sharing stories of these people who are out there absolutely smashing golf and having this wicked time playing it you have all sorts of different abilities and golf is a game for everyone the handicapping system equalizes um equalizes who you're playing with so actually anyone can get amongst it and i think it's about having the visibility of that having visibility of how to get started how to play and how to compete but then also having the initiatives in place of how to get started how to play it, how to compete um, and we certainly operate on a twin track approach so it's making sure that everything that already exists is inclusive so our regular participation initiatives in the club environment, but also um, a parallel experience where it's kind of this disability only experiences. So um, in New Zealand, we use the term all abilities for our kind of tournaments and participation programs. That's just to keep in line with our friends in Australia. who also use that term. So we have all abilities programs and all abilities tournaments. Um, If you're just looking for an exclusive environment, so disability only, Mm. and that's not to say you have to choose, we can go in and out of those pathways and jump from both. You know, most of our golfers are playing our uh, disability tournaments. They're playing in their club events. They're playing in mm-hmm. their club tournaments as well. Um, and others actually just prefer being in that environment too. So I think it's making sure that there is choice. Choice is the key, key thing here. Ensuring that there is choice, that people can see themselves in, in, in the golfing environment and that there is representation. People know how to get started, where to play, where to compete. And again, this club environment needs to be inclusive and welcoming. And honestly, I would put on top of the tree, good customer service. Because you can have all these things that are not ideal or not perfect, but if you've got good people at your club supporting people through that, I think that would be my number one thing um, in the club environment, having good
0: people. Yeah, it's a huge part of it, of, of making people feel welcomed and yep. feel like they, they can be there and it's, they can ask the question if, you, if people are booked at ease by staff, mm-hmm. they're far more likely to ask what they think, probably internally is a stupid question, but it's not. If you don't know, then you don't know. But if you feel like the staff are maybe a bit abrasive or they're a little bit rude, you think, oh, this is going to get some kind of sarcastic comment if I ask this question, which then often they then just leave and don't come back and maybe that's a lost opportunity.
1: And I think often it's kind of just lack of knowing. And again, Mm. this is where this profile piece comes in so important, not only for people to see themselves within our game, but also for staff and volunteers and coaches and managers and board members to kind of go, Oh my goodness, did you see um on the G4D on the DP tour recently, the G4D section of golfers with a disability competing? You know, you're seeing Rory McIlroy and then you're seeing um the G4D section of, of, of the tournament. And this is just amazing for the profile of disability golf and seeing that these people are not disabled golfers, they are just golfers who are mm. absolutely amazing at what they do. And having your assumptions challenged, you know, that actually you can play golf well you know being above the knee amputee you can play golf if you have a visual impairment you can play golf if you're in a wheelchair you can play golf actually it doesn't matter you can play golf and there is a space for you and the more we can get that visible the more the golf clubs go do you know what yeah we can welcome you and we'll work on this together and i think that's that is the, it's the openness to know and not build an assumption that someone can't do something actually people can do anything they want we've just got to make way for them and make room for them right
0: definitely I was watching it was during the 150th open this year I think it was the Sunday or Saturday before the tournament started they had this big celebration for the anniversary and it was yeah one one or two tour players maybe one of the senior players and then with yeah a golfer with a disability Mm -hmm. in a group together and it's just stunning. I mean, there's one, I can't remember his name now, but he only had one leg mm-hmm. amputated at like the hip. Mm-hmm. And it's hit the ball so far and with just perfect balance. It was really quite astonishing. Far more, in some ways, far more impressive than Rory and those other players to have that quality and the power from that. And then it's a whole range of different people with different disabilities competing was a great showcase mm. for the sport. I think that's something which, yeah, but more, say, more visibility to see that would be great.
1: It shows the inclusivity of golf. Mm. Yeah. And, and I just think what's so amazing about some of these golfers is just their story. You know, first and foremost, you know, when we run, a, run one of our All Abilities tournaments, Yes, there's some cracking golf played. Yes, it's a, a brilliant tournament. But ultimately it's about being in the clubhouse after and having a yarn mm. and having a chat and chatting through the game, but also chatting through life. You know, but these people have just got exceptional stories. Exceptional stories. And you think it's hard enough to I think about how hard it is to learn and play golf. Like
0: yeah.
1: I I am still painfully getting my way around that golf course. And I have a good time, but my score is still so bad. But you know. Um But, you know, that that is me with actually no physical impairment um, to have to to kind of work with. And these people are are learning this game, playing this game, competing in this game with all sorts of additional um, things to be thinking about that, you know, that I don't. And it's so impressive. Like it is so, so impressive and no moaning either. I moan my whole way around the golf course, you know, know, and they're just like absolutely hammering it around. They're like, just having a great time playing good golf. Um, And I think the more, the more we can share that narrative, the more we can share that story, the more people will go, oh, I didn't know that that existed. I'd love to get part of that. And we're certainly seeing that here, the more we're kind of profiling players, the more we're running tournaments, the more we're running events, the more we're the more we're doing, the more people are coming out of the woodworks going, God, I'd love to give that a go. Or mm. actually, hey, I've been playing golf for ages. I'd love to be involved with this. And you're building this big community. Um, it is actually one of my favorite areas of golf to work in because just great people, great golf, mm. great community, great stories, and just you know, real good humans to, to work with. Um, easily one of my favorite areas of the game to work in is the disability
0: golf space. I can see that of the times I've done, maybe uh, when I was in Dubai, we, we did coaching every week for the Dubai Autism Centre, a group of, of 12 would come and, and in Hong Kong, I had a few individual students as well with disabilities. And Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and a friend of mine in Hong Kong coached, uh, he's only a young kid, but he was born with only one hand and being able to see them like play and just love it and enjoy the, the game. It's really rewarding. So Emily, is there any questions I haven't asked you that I should have done or you would anything that you'd like to talk about?
1: I didn't know a heap of things I think golf clubs should do.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, if you'd yeah, like to hear them. some of those. Absolutely. Um. So... So we actually have um, our strategy for women and girls, and we call it our ambition. And so we had positioned it that it's our ambition that women and girls are welcome, valued, and thriving in golf, right? And the reason we positioned it that way is because we can ask it a question, you know, do you share our ambition? And it's quite an easy answer, right? Who's going to say no to that? Of course we do. Of course we want all those things. And so within that, I guess there are six outcomes of this strategy, and one area is about clubs. And actually, we can't do anything at the clubs as as a national body, but we can say what we believe or what we think could and should be happening to create better experiences for women. Um, And I guess a couple of those things that we would advocate for, and certainly from my own experience as well, that I would just love to see golf clubs doing more. And New Zealand... We're doing really well in some of these areas, and and a lot of clubs are working on some of this as well, and seeing great outcomes. But ultimately, first off, is having a women's focused participation initiative that targets younger women. Um, and when I say younger, you know, if we're looking at about eighty six percent of women of membership um, of women are over the age of fifty, right? So we've got a partic- we've got a underrepresented group, but we've also got an older group of women, right? So we're looking for newer, younger women having a participation initiative in place. So, you know, in New Zealand, we have She Loves Golf, which has sort of created this whole new tribe of women. And the initiatives within that are from have-a-go days, but don't just run a -a have-a-go day. Mm. Run what next? Because the the kind of jump between have-a-go and membership, too big. So what comes next? So you've introduced all these women to your club, have initiatives in place. And some really popular ones or good ones to put in place, I always think are... We call it like she loves golf twilight which is essentially kind of an introductory version of twilight so most golf clubs think that twilight is a kind of social um social thing for kind of newer or people who don't want to play competition which it totally is But there's still a layer before that where Twilight still a bit intimidating. You know, you don't want to get in Mm, the way. So we find that when we've kind of labeled it, she loves golf, because remember this is a brand that women associate with. It's a brand. They know they're safe. They know it's, it's okay rules. They know they can wear their active wear. They know that they're safe to play within the, she loves golf umbrella, which has been a real kind of incidental outcome of it. But she loves golf, Twilight. We have heaps of women turning up to that every Mm. week. They're playing every week, one night after Mm. work that is what you want them doing the more they're playing the more hooked they're going to get they pay as they play they pay their ten dollars or their twenty dollars and they turn up and and you can run this in many ways right so you can run it by a timer hour and a half off you go play an hour and a half and then they're actually measuring their success by how many holes they've played not Mm. their score so the time is quite a nice idea or put it on a six and a nine hole option is really helpful. Those shorter membership categories or those packaged membership categories, also super, super helpful and impactful. Um, We run regional event series so when I first started learning to play, I always wanted to be part of an event, not a competition, but want to be part of something cool, right? There's nothing for yeah. me. So years back, we started um, She Loves Golf Sixes and She Loves Golf Nines. So it's a regional event. They're hosted at different golf courses. So again, golf courses are sharing the load. And um, so you get to play five or six different golf courses across the spring, summer um, in a six-hole format or a nine-hole format, spot prizes, big event, heaps of women there. Um, and again, it's okay rules. You don't have to count score if you don't want it or you can we play as a team super super important because you get to try different golf courses you're playing golf more regularly and you're finding your tribe you are finding your new friends so that kind of participation side of things uber uber important this kind of women's only and not your tuesday women's group that's a different tribe remember but this kind of newer group that wants sort of different things and have different motivators um chill on the dress code another big one chill on the dress code chill on the etiquette these things come. You've got to be ready to work on your golf gear. You've got to be ready to start thinking about etiquette. And I guess to give you an example, I'm five and a half years in and I'm still not that interested in etiquette. I mean, obviously I'm respectful on the golf, Mm. you know, to that extent, but I'm not, when I say etiquette, I'm probably thinking about rules, like harsh rules. Mm. Still not that interested in it. And Mm. the only handicap I'm messing with is my own. If anything, mm. it makes me look better, which is not a good thing in golf, right? Especially if you're <laughs> yeah. competition. And remember, I'm probably never going to go and play in a competition, right? It's just not the version of golf that I want to play. Um, access. Access has to be a focus. So it's great to do all these participation initiatives. It's great to get all these women in. But actually, if you don't address the systemic things within the golf club, actually, they may not stay. So, you know, that's the leadership, that's having um, a voice of a woman at governance and leadership structures, that's having lots of women around the golf course in in roles, in jobs, and actually how we can access the golf course. Can we get on on a Saturday? Are there times we can play women's only tee times, but are there also times I can play with my partner, who's a man, right? Mm. Can we play together? And actually, I want a culture and environment where it's not taboo if he plays off the front tees with me. You know, it's another crazy thing in golf that we like to gender the T-blocks. And actually, this gender binary that exists in golf with the new world handicapping system, it just does not need to be there. And this isn't just about women. This is about everyone. If we can get Mm. to that point where we are saying forward, middle and back tees instead of women's and men's, this is going to be better for everyone because everyone will know that older dude older man that should be playing from the front now and also the fact that if you play as a family or you play as a couple um you should just be able to play together with no taboo or no stigma associated to that and then that leans me into membership categories also don't need to be men's and women's and sometimes when you when you kind of just create a membership category that can unravel some old historic inequities and access but membership categories don't need to be on the binary, do not need to be gendered. And this is future-proofing, right? It's something that's Mm. unique about our sport. We don't need the gender binary within it. So, you know, genderless membership categories, T-blocks based on ability, not gender, all really, really important things. And ensuring that women can access and have equal access, equitable access to the golf course. Um, Consultation would be my other one. Often we go, oh, I want to get more women in in my golf club. love more women members. I know, I'll ask our current women members, who so as we spoke about before, around 86% of them are the over the age of 50. So while their voice is really, really important for retention and really, really important for them, you also need to get the other group of consultation, which often your national federation will have heaps of research on what women want. And- conjoin that information and make sure again you're finding that balancing act because if you're asking the same people the same questions over and over and over again you're going to get the same outcomes um that's a big one um and yeah customer service don't assume they would be my top ones to start thinking about um Mm. when creating a women's just actually more inclusive environment in general
0: Mm. Uh, really a lot of really interesting food for thought for people to think about and yeah start looking at things a slightly different way and as you say drawing in some more diverse thoughts and opinions to create yeah more diverse and inclusive culture at a club really nice emily thank you very much for your time and joining me it's been a really interesting conversation
1: you're very welcome thanks for having me ed
0: thank you for joining me on this journey as we dive into the world of club management I hope you enjoy listening to these conversations as much as I enjoy having them. If you do enjoy and get value from them, I have two small requests. Simply subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast listening app and leave a review and share it directly with someone whom you think would benefit from listening. If you're interested in being a guest on this show yourself, then you can reach out to me using the details in the show notes or email me. Modern Club management at pm.me. In the show notes, you will also find a link to my bi-weekly newsletter that complements these conversations, where you can sign up to receive these directly into your inbox so that you never miss out. Thanks for tuning in and have an amazing day. This episode is brought to you by Swader. Swader is the social learning platform that delivers high-quality blended learning with human connection. Sweda is on a mission to revolutionize the digital learning space through restoring the critical element of human engagement that has gotten lost in online learning. The technology provides everything organizations or individuals need on one single platform to achieve meaningful long-term learning success. Using these skills helped me attain a job offer as the Director of Golf at Golf Digest Top 100 in the World Ranked Course after I completed their influence and communication courses but don't just take my word and the 97 percent five-star reviews it has had on Trustpilot for it try it yourself all you have to do is email david at that's s-u-a-d-a.com and quote the modern club management podcast to claim your free enrollment onto the reciprocity course to start your journey to become a more influential and persuasive communicator